Welcome to episode 195 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Thursday, 26th of July, 2018. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the Spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed of BikeBiz.com, and today's show is an hour-long interview with John Little, who, during the recording, said he was an evangelical transport engineer. He's one of the designers of the £27 million Mini Holland scheme in the London borough of Waltham Forest. He lives in the borough and schleps his kids around in a bullet cargo bike. We talk about 400-metre grids, why cycle advocates would find it more fruitful to campaign for trees rather than curb-protected cycleways, and why he's visiting my home city of Newcastle-upon-Tyne. This room in Newcastle Civic Centre echoes. It was once the domain of T. Dan Smith, the infamous politician who, in the 1960s and 1970s, transformed Newcastle into the Brasilia of the north of England. In other words, a city truly and totally enthrall to the car. Not so much now. I've just been in a packed meeting with 30 or so Newcastle planners and politicians listening to John Little, who was here in the Civic Centre, to talk about, of all things, not about Brasilia at all, but to talk about Mini Holland. So, uh, John, welcome to Newcastle. <laughs> what was meant to be the Brasilia of the North was meant to be a car-dominated city, yet they're now getting you to come down to talk about the wonderful work that you're doing in Waltham Forest. Yeah. Have you been to Newcastle before, first of all? I have. I came, I came up last year. Um, it certainly wasn't. The weather's a bit like Brasilia today here, isn't it? But um, it wasn't like that last time I was here. But, um, but yeah, so um, I arrived earlier. I had a little wander around. and. Um, and I'm up here to, um, to try and help, I suppose, do a bit to make this place a little less like Brasilia, possibly. Well, it is always like this. The, the temperature, you know, it's a hit. It's, it's a, only it's when a I secret. turn up, is it? But yeah, we, we, don't, we don't tell people that it's always a heat wave here. Um, cycling has increased in Newcastle, but it is absolutely ringed. So in the presentation that you were doing there, where you're putting your slides up of the roads in, in Waltham Forest and the, the other parts of the... Uh, the borough that surrounds it, you were talking about roads that were cutting off communities. And Newcastle is the poster child for cutting off communities yeah. in that they, they put through some of it like Leeds, yeah. a lot of the, the big cities in the north of England in the 1960s and certainly in the 1970s put through these amazingly bad yeah. uh, road building schemes, very costly, very, very costly to, as we know, the environment now. And Newcastle is a city that's actually very, very good for getting around by car. It's actually quite easy compared to many places. And that means people do drive a lot. But we are getting more and more people on bikes in Newcastle. And clearly with the council, this is not like, you know, the the local cycling campaign group getting you up to talk. You've been talking to bigwigs here. You've been talking to, you know, people who have the... In effect, the same position that T. Dan Smith had back in the day yeah. to actually transform Newcastle into, for want of a better expression, lots and lots of mini Hollands. So is, was that your brief, to come here and inspire the current breed of planners and politicians to, to, to take a leaf out of Waltham Forest's book? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think the idea was to, to maybe come up and, and obviously my, my ex- more direct experience of recent years um, is working with Waltham Forest. But yeah, certainly I think um, helping helping Newcastle to, to, I suppose, understand or maybe adopt some of the ideas that we've been trying in London over the past few years. Um, learn the lessons, obviously, both the positive and the negative, um, what's worked well and what hasn't. And of course, um, often for us, the borough I know well is, is, is kind of doing very well, at, I think, at, at, 
um, leading the way and making some great change. Um, but there's also lots of other great stuff going on in London, of course, and other cities. I was in Manchester a couple of weeks ago, and there's some great stuff going on there as well. But um, but yeah, I think I've, I've kind of my task is to come up and and um, help with a bit of maybe a bit of inspiration and, and, and maybe think about things a little bit um, a little bit differently. But um, but hopefully with some really you know, some great outcomes. So people around the world will know London for the flagship routes on the embankment. The, you know, the, the hard infrastructure that's been put in place in, in the, the centre of London. Yeah. Um, but we are talking, I mean, how is that eight miles out, nine miles out? Yes, yes. So we're talking the outer London borough where traditionally you had very, very low cycle use, absolutely. very low. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not as low, um, actually, as, again, Enfield, I think, at the time of Mini Holland um, funding being announced, I think Enfield was 0.5% mode share for cycling. I might be wrong, but I th- I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, Morphan Forest, like lots of other outer London boroughs, was sort of sitting at about, I think, 2.8%, 3% mode share for cycling. And um, back in, the, I suppose that's 2011 census data. But um, but London is, you know, it's an animal, isn't it? It changes so quickly and, and people move around, it's sort of fluid. Um, and I think there's been a bit of a cultural creep into the borough. There's obviously been the Olympic Games, there's lots of development in the East End. Um, generally, and, and of course, it's not just Waltham Forest where um, where it seems that the people are beginning to change the way they travel. Um, but certainly, I think you know what what, what the borough has achieved in the past few years has has, um, has enabled lots of people to think at least about giving it a go. Um, and and certainly, anecdotally, you know, as I said, it appears that um, it appears that the, the stuff that's going on in Waltham Forest is having some real positive effects. So you've talked about. The, 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 in effect, the change in demographics mm. that have been coming in, in, and I've talked to people in Waltham Forest mm. before, where they have talked about there's more young people like mm. yourself with kids mm. uh, coming into the borough and, and settling, and maybe it's been th- their impetus to actually change things. I, is that a fair reflection? I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I used to do a bit of sociology and human geography is kind of my thing, and I, I, I remember actually at university sort of being taught about how. Um, you know, rich people in cities tend to move out, out past the suburbs. You know, in sort of the 90s, and, and then drive or train back in. Um, and was learning, I suppose, in the early what the late 90s, early 2000s, about the sort of more European city model of <coughs> um, younger professionals staying in zone two, three, I suppose, as it being in London. Um, and that's certainly, you know, anecdotally from, I suppose, my so- social group who all moved to London at a similar time, and, and obviously some people have moved to other parts of the world, but those who have stayed tend to, weirdly enough, be the ones who now have children, whereas I think 10, 15 years ago it's the people probably were more tied to their careers in London that hung around and, and people moved out. But yeah, it's um, certainly no expert in, in population trends, but, um, but it, would, it would appear that, you know, that, I mean, the borough has a very young population anyway, um, and, and it would appear that, yeah, there's, there's an influx of younger families who, of course, if they previously only come from down the road or lived just down the road, then... Um, getting back down the road on a bike or a bus or, or walking is probably more um, something they're more accustomed to. And uh, again, I would assume being younger and, and central London uh, dwellers previously, that car ownership, of course, will be lower as well. So maybe that's a. Um, what is the car ownership? Well, it depends where you are in the borough, and it, um, it's sort of ward by ward basis. I mean, generally speaking, at the south of the borough, it's, it's lower and, and it rises as you head towards Chingford. Um, but that's actually, there's been some interesting trends there. I, th- I mean, I think I'm right in saying it's about 50% of house, you know, households own a car. Um, and that's, again, very similar in most. I mean, Tower Hamlets is about 28% or something like that. And it's, it's, you know, almost perverse sometimes when you think about how important the car is in conversations about <coughs> and elections and everything else. And when you actually think there is such a small proportion of people who actually have one of these things, or they might have one in their household, but they might not be old enough to drive it. You know, there's... there's um, and I think that's, um, I think that's something that that, that our industry generally has um, has cottoned onto a bit over the last few years. I mean, I remember a long time ago when I when I started at, um, at a council in West London, people suggesting that that fundamentally that you know people should only have a, a right to to tick a consultation box if they're of driving license age. So I remember that being one logical way to decide what age we what age boxes we should have on a I can't remember if that's a controlled parking consultation or what, but um, but now we're, we, you know, I think everybody is trying because, of course, you want to make streets safe for 
children so their parents feel you know more relaxed and that they can maybe take alternative modes and all that stuff and so um you know we've done some great things in Waltham Forest with the schools and and, and again lots of other boroughs do lots of great things with with thinking about how to engage children now and I think that's a real positive step that's kind of come about in the last 10 years in um, traffic engineering or whatever you want to call the industry we're we're in. So let's let's talk about where this actually came from so you've you've got strong political leadership there for this so you've got councillor um, Clyde Lokes um, who is on on Twitter as uh, as Labourstone now he um, I'm assuming um, helped put the bid in to Boris Johnson's um, call out for London boroughs to put themselves forward to become um, experimental mini, mini Holland schemes. So when was that and, and what exactly um, uh, happened and how did you get involved at that stage? So that was, um, yeah, that was a long time ago now, that was 2013, 14. Um, and ba- I mean it was basically a design competition, well a sort of call out to all the outer London boroughs, um, the mini Holland part of what was Boris Johnson's vision for cycling. Um, and so yeah, it was, it was a competition open to all London boroughs and I think, um, I mean there were sort of qualifying, there was an exam question to answer which was about um, world class cycling routes and you know, the public realm schemes and that, the fundamentally what your proposal would look like. Um, and it was basically whittled down from I think, you know, 20 odd London boroughs down to a short list. Um, and I basically helped Waltham Forest officers um, develop the, the final plan that became um, what is enjoying Waltham Forest. So um, taking as much influence as we could from what I knew from football trips and various other sort of family holidays of the Netherlands when I was young. And, um, um, and, and of course, the first, I suppose that you know, there's, there's been a few of us in the industry for quite some years who have been saying that we should do things like this. Um, and I'm one for putting trees in streets and, and um, making people go the long way sometimes. And it, I suppose the, the, the Mini Holland opportunity was, was, was really an opportunity for people to, to, to think like that and, and for boroughs to actually propose some real change and with some significant money behind it, which, um, which possibly made people bolder, I suppose, in what they thought they could achieve. Because I think, um, I mean, one thing that the programme has certainly done is, is, is enable people to put together a big, grander vision, and now the Livable Neighbourhoods programme has sort of fallen out the bottom of that. Um, because what's tended to happen, I'm sure you can you probably find places in Newcastle where you can see it very easily, where highways departments have tried to manage almost an unmanageable problem for a long time, and so there's lots of tinkering going on, and you never actually fix the problem. You know, it's might be a bit of guardrail here, and then a build out there, and some white paint there, and this that, and 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 actually, what you really need to do is take a step back and think. Let's let's almost start again with things, and I think that. Um, putting that question in front of the boroughs and letting them plan strategically for spending quite a large amount of money and uh, again uh, you know the outer London boroughs were not necessarily normally the place that the you know the, the, the big money was being spent um, so it it was a real opportunity yeah, and, I, and, and certainly um, I mean not you know speaking on behalf of the, of the borough per se because of course I, I, I work with them not for them but I know that um, you know I'm councillor Lokes has, has, has been a very strong voice at the top and, and, and helped. Um, you need somebody at the top you, to push that absolutely. through. Absolutely, you need. You know, it's, it's all very well um, us evangelical kind of traffic engineers having these great ideas about wouldn't it be nice if, um, but of course you need people to buy into the ideas and also of course you need um, you need leadership from from political um, from politicians and from senior staff at. at local authorities sometimes to get these things through because of course you know the pressure and the spotlight on on Waltham Forest that has you know been at times I, I would assume um, difficult as is, is, is needed um, need some strong people to, to make sure that we continue to do the right thing and of course you know you, you could argue that um, that we that a lot of that I suppose it got not got through it, that would be the wrong way of saying it, but there were of course some times where it appeared that you know, the um, public opinion was, was 
um, strong, certainly probably in both directions, but not not. Um, but that again can cause, you know, if, as, as you know, people can get very excited about people shouting loudly, and sometimes that can unfortunately can a whole scheme just because. And and again, I, I I've not been party to all the discussions. I'm a, I'm a you know consultant who works with local authorities, but I'm sure that there were some difficult times for the senior staff there, and I'm certainly very very proud of um, what I've helped to. to into it but also very proud of the borough for, for you know sticking to their guns fundamentally and I think coming out the other side being proved right or it looking that 52 way. 52 design awards yeah, known around yeah. the world. Absolutely but, but I think as I you know, alluded to earlier I think it's actually more about the fact that it appears that people are changing their behaviour. Absolutely the awards are great absolutely but you know somebody like Rachel Aldred coming out and saying hang on I've done a study and this looks like things might be working well for me that's worth you know, the, with all due respect to industry awards, it's people in the industry saying you're good at what you do. Well, you know, um, I think that's very nice, but but the reality is it's much more rewarding to see, I, personally, to see people embracing what we're doing and see people appearing to like what we're doing and, and the fact that, of course, it appears that it's changing people's behaviour. So you mentioned evangelical um, traffic engineers. I like that term. Uh, do you think there's more of you about or do you still think you're a tiny tiny fraction of traffic engineers around the country in general uh, is it a, i'm almost i'm almost asking is this a generational thing are the older generation of traffic engineers for want of a better expression dying off and you guys are the ones coming in and you're changing things slowly and getting rid of the, the kind of the older ideas possibly i think um, I mean, it, yeah, for me, it's quite, I suppose one interesting thing, I, I've, I was thinking about the other day, I've never owned a car. I'm 40 in November, I've never owned, a, I've driven my dad's old Wyridge Fiesta when I learned to drive and, um, you know, obviously borrowed cars on, on holiday and the like, but um, I don't know whether that changes the way, you, you know, if you walk into work and you've just pressed your lock on your car or you've just clamped a D-lock, I would assume inevitably it does. Um, I think I think some people you know who, who I think people who are more traditionally almost classically trained I think is probably a nice way of saying it um, so there's some people who are very chapter and verse I mean the way I like to look at design is almost what can you not what can you get away with that would be the wrong, the wrong way of saying it but you know to, to put a continuous footway in you have to bend the rules the, the, the rule book at the moment, or the rule books, is it, uh, it's a thankless task, almost the fourth rail bridge, isn't it? By the time they finish one, it's all out of date and they need to start again. Um, and I know some, um, some peers who are, who are at the moment trying to, you know, trying to rewrite some of the tra local transport notes and the like, and, and hopefully, you know, well, well, judging by the team that are doing it, they'll be great, but um, it, it's not, it, it can't be easy to try and come up with, with standards that are for the nation, and it can't be easy to to, to sort of keep a steer on that and conversely I suppose when people then get taught to be a traffic engineer I wasn't I'm an environmental scientist by education I got to start the job and um, sort of learnt on it um, but some people of course went for, for a more rigid approach to it and I think unfortunately that rigid approach can sometimes blind you slightly as to what the possibilities are for a street rather than and again if, you, if you're conditioned to think that a street is about moving vehicles around um, and then on the periphery, you, you, how you deal with people walking and cycling as opposed to a street being a place where people live and it just so happens that other people drive down it, which is kind of the way I think about it. Um, I think you naturally think about it differently and therefore you probably come up with a different answer. I think it's a, possibly a generational thing in that 20 years ago we were designing highways for cars to go fast and you know, even TfL as a function when I first started working was, I would think, primarily about network assurance and keeping London moving and all those things and now of course it's launched a Vision Zero strategy yesterday and, and you know it's almost the complete reverse it's about active travel and slowing things down and so um, and that's happened in the time I've been working in the industry so yeah I think it is probably a, a real change of the tide I don't necessarily think it's the people the personalities or you know it's it's um, it's more circumstance possibly um, but that also I think people want something different from their streets. I think you know people who are out there want the street to look different and, and people know that you can make things look different. Do you, do you ever have any, or have you ever had any kickback 
on the term mini Holland in that this is a foreign country. So Brits will say, well, hang on, why do we want to have a, a template from a different country? We want, um, we don't want. <laughs> somewhere yeah. from, from the Netherlands I think, where we're British do you, do you think, ever get any of that? I think there has been even a now we voted to leave can't we send Mini Holland back type email but, um, but don't quote me on that one but yeah and I mean I, I think the name was I think yeah, there's a lot in names isn't there we, we've sort of learnt from um, you can make some you know you can make some real mistakes without, some, without even thinking about it um, with that, what you know, quiet ways might be another one that is um, was a great idea. Whether it's such a great idea to call all the quiet ways quiet ways now, whether quiet way actually means you know, d does that look like a quiet way? Is that it's not very quiet? Um, and I think Mini Holland, yeah, absolutely. I think that that um, it had some negative connotations that came with it. Um, well, presumably, it came from. The London Cycling Campaign saying, you know, go Dutch. Absolutely, yeah. So, everything, but so cycle advocates know there's lots of cycling goes in the, in the Netherlands and that go Dutch means this. Yeah. Did the average person in the street go go Dutch and mini Holland? But what does that mean? I don't, yeah, I don't know whether some people are hoping for some more relaxed prostitution <laughs> drug laws. <laughs> but, um, um, yeah, I don't Cannabis know. Cannabis on yeah. the street corners, yeah, exactly. that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah not sure. Um, but certainly mini Holland, I think... Um, I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I, I, I was asked to go to another council's meeting, Monta, and um, probably about 2015 or so, and, and a councillor from there went, oh, not from Mini Holland, which is very interesting. Um, in a script, you know, in a sort of meeting where I kind of thought that isn't really appropriate. Um, but yeah, I think it's kind of been given, it's, it, it, people can be condescending towards the pro just by using the name. Um, and I think, I think that lots of the stuff that came out of the mayor's vision for cycling, unfortunately, because it had the word cycling in it, mm. immediately had a bit of a, again, as you all know, you know, the super highway kind of thing, um, Chiswick super highway. And th there's lo the English language. You're a journalist. I'm not. You know, you know more than I do about that. But the power in a word and and, and um, choice of terminology. Yeah, I think you know. Hence, I would assume livable neighbourhoods this time round, and not because that's what it's about. That's and that's what the result has been. So uh, the result has been more walking, even though this mean a lot of cycle schemes were put in, yeah. and that was maybe the impetus to, to create that. Actually, the results have been which is more people are walking because you've put the modal filters in, you've put blocked off for motor traffic. Exactly. People more people are walking, yeah. which is which is absolutely not a bad thing at all. It's no. a fantastic. Exactly. Thing. And I, I think you know, I think even on the, it's funny because even on the routes where arguably we've maybe some compromise had to be made between pedestrian space and, and you know space of cycling and the like but to create the network and make sure it's joined up and continuous and all those things it needs to be um, yeah there has been some you know some compromise but I would say levels of walking you know and obviously Rachel's stuff bears out as well you know people are walking about more it's not just a Waltham Forest thing either I think you know there's a lot of I hear a lot of 10,000 steps talk and stuff in London now and um yeah, it's but it's about enabling, isn't it? And again, you know, that's that's why I think um, strict design has to go now. It's not about you know managing risk and all that. That it should be about enabling behaviour, and that's a again, I suppose that's possibly the difference in the generational thing. Um, whereas I think a lot of people previously it was about engineering human behaviour and engineering the the rule, and now it's not. It's about enabling people to cycle and walk and you know and managing um, those that want to choose other ways to do it that might not be as space efficient and might have their um, negative externalities so the 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 whole project um, or the money a lot of the project was like 27 million pounds yeah so how much of that 27 million was spent on on curbs on tarmac on plant pots to um, demarcate stuff, on wooden bollards to close off streets, and how much was spent on public engagement and, and on, on people like you and, and getting the design put in place? Um, so I, th I think, I mean, basically, I, I put sort of a 
approximately two thirds of the budget has been spent on the um, on the routes and the bigger infrastructure bits, and of course, you know, some of the stuff um, that's come along as part of the program, removing Whips Cross Roundabout, which is a pretty big chunky roundabout, and turn it into a junction, um, amongst other things. I mean, those sort of things don't come cheap. Working over railway lines, of course, is another thing that can um, very quickly eat up money. But um, but there has been. I I mean, again, I wouldn't want to. Um, speak out of turn you know but I suppose the finances the overall projects it's not something I have direct control over and, and, and fundamentally don't know the ins and outs but I would assume about you know a sort of 10% roughly proportion of, of the budget's been spent on, um, on on speaking to people but um, again to, to me that we've not spent enough on speaking to people in traffic you know traffic schemes generally people almost it was almost a necessary evil ten years ago to engage and con or consult and you know print an A4 letter and send it out and get the responses and put them in an Excel spreadsheet and all that stuff and and actually that isn't enough, is it? You're you're actually you're ch making change to the streets people live or travel or work. They'll go to school and uh, and they're going to go there every day. <laughs> and you need you know you, or you, it's it's only right that that um, that you get people involved in that process and and. As you know, my personal view is that the more you get people involved in it, the better end result, not not the worse. But you also get when you when you are going out to public engagement, uh, by absolute dint of circumstance, you're going to get the bolshy ones, the, mm. the vociferous ones, the ones who've got an axe to grind. So yeah. that's either cycle advocates yeah. on one hand, yeah. um, and uh, and on the other hand, you've got the the people who who absolutely want to drive. Come what may, yeah. and if there's you know ten children die per year, well that's just that's just collateral damage. Yeah, that's just that's yeah. just what happens. So you've got those extremes. So those are the people who are either calling for or against these kind of schemes that you're talking about. But in the middle, you have this silent majority. Absolutely. Who are actually the ones who actually benefit from most from the scheme anyway. Yeah. So it's absolutely. I mean, again, you know, to me, the the <laughs> the bizarrest conversations are always the ones where you know people say well this is a, you know who's this for you but well, I don't cycle no exactly um, and that whole you know we don't but you don't have to turn into that mammal we detest what we're actually saying is that you could do you know I think that, so the vision for Wolfen Forest 10% mode share well that means one in 10 trips doesn't it that doesn't have to mean 10% of the population cycling, 100% of the time to achieve that. In fact, it's much better if it's 100% of the population cycling, 10% of the time for that. You know, for everybody's health and um, congestion, and everything else. So, um, yeah, it's 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 difficult to sell something to somebody when they don't know they want it. Um, but that's kind of what the thing is about. You're absolutely right. It's about um, you normally you know the amount of dropping sessions I've done in my career for all kinds of different schemes and of course you always have the very people who are very pro stuff and the people who are very anti it and it depends what it is as to whether who those types of people are but of course yeah you're absolutely it's a, those polarised views um, you've got to try your best to quieten those down because you want everybody else to have a chance to have a speak and it, and they're the people you want to get involved aren't they as you rightly say if, if somebody's fundamentally if somebody was um, brave enough to cycle down Leverage Road before we started work, then we really don't, it's not, A, the programme's not really for them, and also I'm sure they have great views on stuff and I'm sure they have some great ideas, but actually you already do it. We want to talk to the people who don't understand and they might have to shout at us for a bit. So those, those bolshy ones on the, the pro-motoring side, they actually took um, a leaf out of cycle campaigners book in that they had a coffin yeah so on the on the, the first day of the trial and I was actually there in Waltham Forest when the, the this was officially I mean I'm sure it was operating before this but it was officially opened and this was the uh, the, the lightning yes for the um, the protest so there was an awful lot of people there there was a coffin um, being held aloft now normally that's a cycling campaign group saying you're killing cyclists this was actually saying you lot are going to be killing Waltham yeah, village yes. by putting this kind of stuff in yeah. so those bolshy ones who were at those that famous meeting where 
that opening where the, the Dutch ambassador, yeah. in his first day in the job, he was there to, to cut the ribbon. <laughs> he must have thought that was an amazing, I know he was very tickle pink. <laughs> this was happening, uh, quite funny. Um, those people there, that rump of people there, do you think you've won them over or do you still think that's a rump of people you will never win over? I don't know. I mean, I, I, um, I, that's a very good question. I mean, I, I've certainly seen one person on a cargo bike in a part of London I don't think they expected to be seen on a cargo bike by somebody who'd know who they were and know that it was quite strange to see them on a cargo bike. Um, but um, I think there are some people, who, you know, I think local authorities, unfortunately for them, are the collectors of tax, the givers of tickets, you know, the enforcers of lots of laws that some people make, you know, that, that I suppose not laws that almost people find annoying more than anything. And I think there's always therefore a bit of a stigma attached to the, the council. And if you're sort of, you've had a bad day and, you know, um, you generally don't think there's much in it for you at the moment, then it, it's a very easy thing, I think, to then go down to the council and shout at the, you know, um, the latest idea from the traffic team and use that as a as something to sort of shout about. However, um, they, they got voted back in. The people... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm not, put this forward, are still in position because absolutely. they got voted back in. And I'm not suggesting for one minute, of course, you know, some people have some very valid reasons for feeling aggrieved about, you know, the, the change um, that may or may not happen. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's inevitable, isn't it? I think that some people are never... I don't think our, our job, again, we've, we've probably been way too interested in what percentage of people are for and against things in days gone by and I've seen some very interesting rules at different councils saying you have to get a certain percentage of things for things to go and you just think that's never your local councillors weren't elected on that mandate you're never going to get 50% of all people to support a controlled parking zone it's just never going to happen um, so why so it's it, yeah it's, 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 it's an interesting one I think I mean it, you know, I've sat in rooms of people who refused, arms folded, to even discuss where they think a tree could go. And I, I don't think there's almost... You can only expend so much energy trying to engage those people when there's lots of other people who are um, deserving of, of being engaged, want to be engaged. You know, you can only do so much when people don't want to do anything, can't you? So tell us about Walton Stowe in general, then. So you, you've got, basically, you've got some spine roads coming in that because it's a it's an out London borough people are coming through from out in the boondocks yeah driving in in the morning and in, in the evening and then going maybe into into central London yeah. so you've got an awful lot of people there who it's not their constituency it's it's not their their roads it's yeah. not, they don't live there an awful lot of people are probably just transient yeah yeah I think it, it, it definitely the borough definitely suffers um, it has the North Circular, the A12, you know, the M11 is not far away. Um, some pretty significant roads, particularly for people who live in the sort of Essex borders area, if you like to, to. And I think there is, you know, once you get a bit further out, of course, you get arguably better train services than you do if you sit in that weird, just outside the M25, not quite London, not quite wherever. Um, area and of course bus routes or you know orbital routes and all the rest of it just disappear as you as you go further out and so I think there has um, there's definitely you know, there's still a, a driver and I, I take my daughter and son to nursery every morning drive over the A12 going towards the Blackwall Tunnel and think all those people have driven in that morning and, and they're going somewhere like. yeah and but then you know I'm on the bridge above and there's the traffic jams they all drive in and they all drive out and you see them in the traffic jam in the morning that side and traffic jam on that side in the evening um, and they all drive through the borough and they all, you know. And of course there's again that sort of the, you know, possibly in times gone by certainly that would have been the more affluent people moved out to the suburbs and driven back in through the poor areas and, and you know, the sort of social injustice of that is, is um, certainly one thing that I think is possibly not talked about enough um, in cities. I mean, it's, it's something that people are now beginning to talk about a bit more. but. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so that certainly was the case. I mean, I think the congestion charge, and I, I did a lot of controlled parking zone work um, in years gone by in central London boroughs, and I think people gradually started being able to commute um, less and less. So the distance, so they've ended up at more outlying areas, and 
in the time I've sort of lived in um, Wolf and Freust, you know, the borough's gone from being sort of 50% to probably getting on for 100% CPZ, I think. Um, and that's not just Wolf and Freust, of course, that's all the, all the places in... So in bike control, parking zone, CPZ, you're talking about, you ain't going to be able to leave your car here, you're going to have to have a permit. It's, yeah. it, you're, you're restricting people's yeah. use of cars, and in uh, fact. As I will bore anybody who stays too long in the pub with me, um, you know, control, well, parking controls are the most powerful sustainable transport tool there is. Um, they're the most political and the least sexy, but they're the most powerful. And people don't like getting involved. You know, politicians don't like parking because it can blow up in their faces. Um, but fundamentally, if you can't, if you stop somebody parking there, they're not going to drive, are they? So um, you hold all the cards. And I don't think that this is sometimes a difficult one for local authorities because you, that is, without a shadow of a doubt, the way to do it. If you wanted to, if you wanted to. You know, remove your, your congestion issues in Newcastle overnight. You just close all the car parks. Well, we can actually see where we are here. We can see these buildings that are going up here. Um, uh, that's the university, and uh, they built a lot of these um, buildings on space that was originally a flat car park. Ah, right. And they made the absolute, and this is actually done for clean air issues, because uh, I interviewed the, the academic who, who, who proposed this, they got rid of all the parking. So that was parking for academics and students. Right. And they just got rid of it all and said, well, this, this earns us money if we put buildings yeah. here. As the car park, it earns us very little. So we'll put buildings here instead. So all of that car parking that used to be just in front of us here, deliberately was just got rid of fantastic buildings went up and of course if you look at the traffic surveys the academics and the students are no longer driving yeah. because they can no longer Can't park, park there yeah, so exactly. yeah you're absolutely right that's we're we standing or sitting uh, somewhere where that has absolutely just risen from the ground yeah. to uh, in, into flesh the difficulty is it's a very easy thing for somebody like me to say you know of course if you're the politician who is going to then stand by that proposal. Well, it's kind of private in that it was like a, it was a university, yeah. it was a closed campus in, in the city centre, and they had the power to be able to just do that. Yeah. And if anybody kicked up a fuss, well, yes. absolutely, absolutely, it's not up to you. It's not your parking space. No, it's no. We own that land, as the yeah. university could say. So they just did it. Yeah. And then that's lo and behold, that's when the yeah. the, the travel behaviour changed. changed. Yeah, exactly. So talk about um, the the four hundred metre grid. Mm. So. Uh, Flagship cycle routes always get the, the, the most publicity. Yeah. Yet what is probably the Dutch method more than a flagship route are these tight grids of something that doesn't even look like a cycle route, yeah. but it is part of a grid. So just, yeah. just talk us through uh, what that is. So, I mean, more from first, again, like lots of other parts of East London particularly, has um, some quite tight terrace streets and lots of them. Um, and I suppose rather um, fortunately in some respects that you know the main roads and the, the residential areas kind of form this noughts and crosses sort of board style pattern around Walthamstow um, and it's effectively meant that we were able to design a, a grid of a, a network of routes which is kind of the, the hashtag if you like and in, in, in the areas um, inside are these residential cells or you know Stowe village being one um but the other kind of little residential clusters around the town center and they've they, a lot of the residential roads are very popular vehicle vehicular routes previously um for lots of different reasons and lots of them had far too you know way too much traffic i suppose um, than they should have done um, and by removing or the ability to drive through those residential areas quite so easily, um, of course, all the level of service on all those roads has risen to the point that I suppose you could make an argument that all of the roads in the in in you know within the town centre area now are are great for walking and cycling. Um, and so, as you sort of alluded to, you know, we do actually fundamentally have a grid of quiet routes. Um, Pretty much incorporate nearly, you know, all the residential roads around the town centre, which is which is amazing. Um, there are still some exceptions, of course, and there's there's still some um, still some things that could be improved. But, but fundamentally, yeah, there's a, there's a brilliant walking and cycling grid now um, that, that enables people to, I, you know, again, it's anecdotal, but but um, some of the 
some of the streets that people, very, very busy walking routes now, just weren't places that people thought about walking. And I think that's, it might be because it was difficult to cross the road into that road. It might be because it was particularly, or didn't seem very appealing, you know, once you turn the corner, or whatever it might be. But with the little public realm improvements, and, and of course, I think primarily the, the, the change in the traffic conditions, um, that's evoked the change. And, and yeah, and, and, and this grid is certainly enabling that. Are there any uh, border issues in that you've got this nice grid uh, in, in where you've been working, but then the bordering borough doesn't have that? And is there, so there are, are there still some like roads that are cutting off communities? There are. I mean, the, yeah. I mean, there's, there's. I suppose there's still some. Um, but there are still some parts of the, the borough that, of course, haven't um, weren't included in the Mini Holland programme. And, and um, I mean, subsequently, one of them, Coppermill Village. Has, has now got Liverpool neighbourhood funding, um, and so is, is so there's a new project. The council's embarking on a new project for that area. Um, as I said, the Liverpool neighbourhoods are, are very similar in principle to, to many Hollands, I suppose, albeit the emphasis is far more on a um, on slightly smaller scale neighbourhood schemes, and, the, and it's it's a, a broader focus about walking, cycling, public realm, and all that, and not you know. It's, it's not from a vision for cycling, as, but as we talked to it, doesn't it, not that that meant that the schemes aren't great for everybody else, because of course they are, but I think, um, I think Sadiq has possibly learnt from um, the previous administration's difficulties with it being part of a vision for cycling. Um, it's yeah. tough to sell that to other people. Yeah. So, shop owners yeah. and customers, there's a, there's a difference when, when you ask them this is this is famously happens in many places, but they, shop owners assume that people want to drive to yeah. their shops, and when you ask the customers, they they, they often don't want that. That's right, um, and certainly something that you know has revealed itself in in the engagement work that's gone on through the Enjoy Waltham Forest program um, and the Leabridge Road sort of infographics that have been used quite a lot to to sort of display that. Um, do so very well. It, I mean, it's it's something that again, it's something that I've. Um, so I worked with. I was given the job of working with businesses and parking in a London borough quite a few years ago, and one of the things I actually started is sort of myth busting because I kind of thought, well, these you know, a corner shop can't rely on people driving to it. That just doesn't you know, and everybody knew that's the case. So. It, that even in central London, it, and I'm sure there used to be places where the same person used to stop and buy a can of Coke on the way home every night, and maybe that's where these mm. perceptions in, in shopkeepers' heads came from. But I mean, the simplest way I, I advise any shop to do it, or any council to do it if you're working with a shop, just a simple tally chart and get the shopkeeper to ask people, and they'll give up after an hour. So, what next for Mini Holland? Where does it go from, from here? Keep on building? Yeah, well, was, uh, I mean, I think, um, I mean, Sadiq certainly earmarked some money for the, the next generation of them, which are these, the Liverpool Neighbourhood Programme, and um, I think there's eight schemes have been funded. So I think the idea is sli slightly smaller schemes and more of them to spread the love a bit between the boroughs. Um, and it looks like, you know, some, some of the boroughs are. Um, Coming up with some interesting stuff, I think it's fair to say that people have been inspired by what's gone on in, you know, Waltham Forest and, and and other places as well. I think you know, there's so there's been some good stuff done in Enfield and um, and obviously the superhighways and stuff in the centre of town now. I suppose is showing that you can do it even in the places where people think you know there's the most um, animosity. But yeah, it would appear that or the most difficulty. But it would it would appear that. That is the way that, that things are going, and, and um, I mean, what's interesting, I think, you know, you you start seeing develop. For me, the worm sort of turns when you start seeing hoardings that don't have a car on them. They don't talk about parking. You know, every single development I, I think can think of around the Olympic Park sort of area at the moment has a picture of somebody walking a dog, and then a picture of somebody riding a bike, and some. You know, it's about lifestyle. It's about, and so if that's if that's fundamentally what developers are selling, well, that's normally based upon what people want, isn't it? I mean, developers aren't stupid normally. Um, and so I would suggest that's as good an indication as anything that, that you know, that's, um, that's where things are headed. But again, as I said earlier, you know, it's not, um, I think every single project that I've done in the past 
10 years that's had anything to do with changes to the st street environment and the public realm. People want more trees and less traffic, and that doesn't matter where you are. Um, so it just happens to benefit cycling yeah, uh, along with it. Absolutely, and sometimes, sometimes you know, the people and the authority and everyone else might not know what that means and how to get there and you know, all the rest of it, but certainly if you just ask, so one of the things I did in Lambeth years ago, um, sort of precursor to Wolf and Forest was a, just a postcard we sent through everybody's doors saying what do you like about your street, what don't you like and what would you change if you could. And of course you only had about three lines to write stuff on. Um, which is part of the reason, uh, sort of, you know, but getting some real building blocks for starting to think about a community sort of co-design project, you know, you, what you actually want is the likes and the, and the not wants, um, and, and to innovate with those, if you like, and to work with people to try and say, right, well, how can we do more of that and less of that, and what would that look like on a street? So you must, you must come across lots of cycle advocates in your, your line of work. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm sure you won't want to, to tell them what to do, but would you say it would be a good idea for cycle advocates to be tree advocates, hmm. anti-car parking advocates, CPZ advocates, yeah. rather um, than uh, what would be the... Well, I think well, it comes back to the Millie Holland thing. It, right? it, I mean, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think as soon as you can be the most well-intended tribe in the world, but you're still a tribe. So, um, yeah, I... I it's a bit weird that we tend to introduce ourselves by what mode of transport we've got to wherever on. Some people actually introduce themselves by email as how they normally travel around, which I always find interesting. But, um, but again, I would say that if somebody says, as a cyclist or as a driver or as a, well then, well that's the way you're looking at the world, isn't it? So you're either looking at it from handlebars or you know, behind a steering wheel or whatever. And us who do this <laughs> job we do have to think for everybody, don't we? And it's actually about you know, it's about sharing that. Um, well, it might be about getting, you know, trying to get the most people past the point the most, in the most efficient way, but actually it's, I think, you know, tends to be much more about making places nice places to, to live and to travel to and travel through and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. So in Newcastle, I, my claim to fame in Newcastle is I got a road closed off um, and one of the things that, that seemed to have been the, the key argument that encouraged the council to close this, 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 this road off was that it was going to cost more money for them to keep this road up to spec because they're going to have to um, build up the bank that it was on, they're going to have to make it more resilient yeah. for cars to go through. They're talking about you know, making it... <coughs> one-way system, putting motorway-style barriers up because cars were going off the edge. And then I just started talking about, well, that's going to cost an awful lot of money to actually do that. Whereas if you do this, you just put some bollards here, yeah. it suddenly doesn't cost you a penny. Yeah. And that seemed to yeah. be the argument that worked. So is this also an argument that that can work in that if you put some bollards up, the, the cost, the 100-year cost of those streets suddenly go to nothing because you haven't got articulated lorries yeah. parking on them anymore. Yeah. You're not getting the cracked uh, curb stones yeah. anymore. All of a sudden, this scheme that is flagship 27 million pounds yeah. is actually that's absolutely phenomenal value for money yeah. because it's saving you money. Is that, is that something that is now working on on politicians? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's almost the next level of thinking. It's um, I was having a sort of Twitter conversation with people the other day, actually, Ranty Highwaymen and, and, and the like, about whether anybody has, has got to the point of thinking about uh, trying to calculate all those potential savings, because to me they're huge. You know, you do the heat test, and you can sort of put an economic value on the extra walking and cycling and re reduce uh, morbidity, and you can do, um, you know, reduce number of sick days and all that stuff, and you do benefit cost and all that on, on collisions. Um, but when you actually think about the maintenance and the fact you don't have to do that anymore and you don't have to resurface that for however long and um, you know, it's wildflower that you're trimming twice a year now and not tarmac that's cracking and needing potholes and filling and all that. I mean, it must be, yeah, in theory, it must be astronomical. I was thinking the other day about the embankment and things, you know, like the sleeper highways. I mean, you, people say, oh, you're taking a whole lane away from, well, yeah, so a whole lane that doesn't need anything doing to it for a long, long time and all those people will, you know, all those extra people travelling up and down it. There's a reason that cyclists don't pay 
road tax, isn't there? Um, but um, I'm, I'm going to just say, for, for the record, <laughs> yeah, for the, yeah. the audio here, that you, you put the, the parentheses up in, yes. in, in, in yeah. air quotes there. Yeah, <laughs> no emails, please. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, I think I think if we really want to start drilling home how great all these things are for cities, then then we've got to start thinking about that. We've got to think about you know sort of the reduced peak. Um, floods and the like when there's heavy rainfall and you've got more suds you've got to think about all that stuff you know district more suds, sorry. sustainable urban drainage you know and, and interception and the like so um more trees you know they, they obviously intercept their fair share of rainfall and the like as well you know there's there's lots of bits to the jigsaw isn't there and, and um i think if you want to look at the true benefits i think the numbers would probably blow people away actually if you really really thought about the true bang for your buck of doing a very cheap filtering scheme on a, you know, I mean, it, particularly if you did it you know, low cost, I mean, crikey, the cost benefit would be huge, I'm sure. But it's about that bigger, you know, what do you include and what don't you include? And I think sometimes you can get to the point where the numbers almost seem so ridiculously big that then it almost becomes unrealistic for some people. And you think about air quality and all those other things and obesity and all the, you know, the list goes on, doesn't it? Um, mental health, whatever. So you mentioned Rachel Aldred's study, mm. uh, which shows that uh, people are more people are walking and cycling. I, is that something that you see anecdotally? You just see, hang on, I, I, I wouldn't have seen that person on a bike two years ago. That, yeah. that kind of person. Yeah, I think. I mean, uh, um, so yeah. My, I mean, my cycle through the Olympic Park when I first started doing it, sort of when I moved in 2011, um, was quite a loner. Not like you know, I Laura Laker and people we see from. <laughs> Time to time, he, friendly faces. TFL have moved him around the corner, so I see mo- lots more people these days. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, riding kids around on a bike. I was, I don't know, but I always notice other parents, particularly if you're on roads that don't feel the like you wonder what you're doing. Am I a responsible parent doing this? And then you see another one, and you say, ah, ha, ha, yes, hello. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, certainly, I think there's more people cycling children around, um, there's more children cycling around. Um, Interesting enough, I think there's, there's. I was looking at it yesterday. I was walking around yesterday. I think there's less people cycling on the pavement, but that, and not necessarily just where we've got segregated lanes either. And I don't know whether that's about feeling because it, you know, there's that sort of riding nonchalantly on the pavement with a can of relentless in your hand, and that sort of being a style, almost like the sort of um, LA sort of style. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But. Um, there's that, and then of course there's people you see that you know full well are riding on the ro- on the footway because they're scared to ride on the road, and normally of course men who don't want to admit that they're scared of riding on the road and all that silliness, um, and I think there's less of that. Again, I don't have any evidence. Just but you are measuring that. I mean, presumably somebody is going around with. Well, a- I did put it in a monitoring <laughs> strategy at some <laughs> stage, rather sadly, because that's the sort of thing. I mean, it, again, it, to me, it's quite simple things like that. That you know, in, if we do our it doesn't again. It doesn't have to be wealth and forest, but if you do your job right, and if you do, if you provide the right space for cycling, and, and you know, obviously, junctions work for people and everything. In theory, you, the end result should surely be that people will be in that strip of lovely unpotholed um, tarmac. So your your dream modal share. So you're saying it was about two point eight three percent modal share before all this stuff went in. Uh, what do you think it could get to if everything went absolutely to plan what do you think you'll get I mean yeah I don't know I mean I, I, I suppose it almost be remiss of me to say what this is a target for you know for Waltham Forest I mean I think from a from a from a personal perspective um, I, you know I, I thought as I said earlier I thought the idea of 10% of all trips being by bike was a, was a was it you know kind of in between Hackney and or not you know Hackney Cambridge kind of but and but a reasonable kind of in between from from where the borough was um, for Waltham Forest I think you know I think ten percent of all trips in London would be a great thing for London to to you know I think some of the targets unfortunately that have come out recently are a bit too long term and, and whilst they sound great not they're not on my watch so you know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, of course, you've got a plan for long term, but 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 I don't know whether that's always the best way to do things. If you really want to say, you know, we've achieved, it's almost like you want to see we've done this, we're on to the next one. Um, and I don't know how, quite how that works with those um, sort of targets. But yeah, it's 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 difficult. I, I started 
when we were putting the thing together, I started thinking about capacity and widths and all the rest of it, and I almost reverse engineered it. Rather than, I think, again, you deal with quite low numbers of people cycling, mm. and you start trying to build it up to what you think is a decent number. I kind of thought, well, actually, 10% of all trips is not a bad thing to think about. And so actually, if there's 20,000 vehicles, then it's 2,000 by bikers, and it? it's quite simple, so that's the target doesn't really matter that you're only at 242 at the moment because there's a reason you're only at 242 at the moment and that's because there's no you know that's because the road looks like that so um yeah i as i say it'd be wrong for me to sort of say what the borough's targets are i mean certainly in the 2020 vision it's 10 percent, but i think um you know that was written in 2015 when when the program's been taken a bit longer to deliver than than uh, was envisaged at that time um but I think, as I say, I think, you know, there's some real positive positive signs. I think, again, it would be, it'd almost be wrong of anywhere to assume that everything that, you know, with regards to what pe- travel choices people are making is all down to us doing this. Because, as we talked about earlier, there's there's been the usual movement of people around London and, you know, Walthamstow's become and a very cool place to hang out and you know uh, gentrified would you I say? wouldn't dare you, say you such a thing but, um, but no it, you know it has I mean it, I think even the biggest fans of Walthamstow would be um, wouldn't mind me saying that you know 10 years ago it wasn't exactly um, it wasn't considered if you're in the know it's considered a cool place to live but it wasn't certainly a time out kind of place where it is now you know it's um, Walthamstow's getting a lot of love and I think that's partly to do with um what we've been doing but of course there's lots of other great stuff going on um in the borough you know it's first borough of culture there's loads you know it's it's a yeah it's 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 a great place and it's something that i think i suppose going back to something we talked about again right at the very beginning that, that i think the sort of perfect storm almost of this cultural thing and you know people coming into the borough who possibly wanted to move around differently and 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 the development around the olympic park and then getting mini holland funding is kind of um it all worked very nicely together. And then there are in, they are influencers, those kind of people, and then presumably they influence, because that's their, 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 their job title almost, they influence other people to do that kind of thing. So you, you get somebody on a, on a cargo bike with two kids in, and then two weeks later, somebody who yeah. had a car maybe before that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I was actually speaking... Uh, who was that I was speaking to? I mean, that was somebody at a cycle shop. But there is some, yeah, there's some sort of reasonably good evidence, I think, for, you know, an uptake in cargo bikes in the borough. Again, it's quite interesting. There's been some articles around cargo bikes being sort of, yeah, the... the uh, indicator species. Yeah, the indicator species of gentrification and <laughs> and um, the, the end of the world, as some may see it. But, um, I mean, again, for me, it's one less car. I'm not a car going around a borough with, you know, that is an air quality management area, and it doesn't cost, you know, it's cost neutral as such to, to, to run. I mean, I, I do, yeah, I find that this sort of thing's very strange. I mean, I can kind of understand where people are coming from saying those sort of things, but um, that's the difficulty with progress, isn't it? Is, uh, you know, some people see progress as gentrification and therefore house prices, and, and of course they're probably, you know, very right, you know, there's justified concerns for, for people. Um, but I suppose if, you know, if, if if an unintended consequence of making a place nicer is that, you know, with that comes people wanting to live there, well, there's not a lot That's you a can do thing. about that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? One man's regeneration is another man's gentrification type thing. But, um, but yeah, for me, it's about enabling young children to be able to walk and cycle to school if they want. And if that means the street has more trees in it, I don't see that as a bad thing, personally. Um. That's been fascinating, John. Thank you. Uh, put on tape uh, your website yep. and your Twitter handle or anything else that you want to put yeah, on so social media so people can get in touch with you. Um, so I'm, uh, on Twitter, I'm at Bespoke John, Bespoke uh, J-O-N. Um, and yeah, our company website is workwithbespoke.co.uk. Um, yeah, and always happy to, uh, to give it a go somewhere else. So. Um, yeah, drop us a line on, on social media or um, obviously email me if you've got any questions. And we need to set up a, 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 some sort of group, Evangelical Traffic Engineers group. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a pub team, doesn't it? Yeah, pub quiz team. Um, yeah, okay, we'll get cracking on that. <laughs>
Thanks to John Little there. And thanks to you for listening. Thanks for subscribing to the show. And thanks for telling your friends about the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. Show notes and more can be found at www.the-spokesmen.com. Do go have a look around the website. It's had its first refresh since it was created way back in 2006. Once you've kicked around the new player and downloaded a few back episodes, get out there and ride.